Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You could also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. Right, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, we are talking about James Wan's Malignant, and I am so excited to talk about this movie, guys. It was so much fun. If you haven't watched it yet, it's in theaters right now, and it's also on HBO Max. It's one of those day and date with HBO Max thingies, and uh, I watched it at home. I kind of wish I had seen it in the theater. I still might try to get back out to go see it next week after our wedding this weekend. Uh, but yeah, once we once we do the wedding thing, then maybe I'll go uh, go see this again because I loved it. And I love talking about it with returning co-host Josh Stifter. Uh, he was on a very different movie episode, The Mitchells vs. the Machines, earlier this year. And I was really happy to have him back. So um, yeah, they, we're going to talk about Malignant here in a second. Before we get to that conversation, though, I do want to remind you, as always, to make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together on your podcast app of choice. You could also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, on Good Pods, on Podchaser, and wherever else there's a review or five-star button or any of that kind of stuff. Rate and review us. Let us know what you think of the show. You could share the show with your friends. You can follow us on social media at PiecingPod. Join my Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we continue the conversation about all the movies we talk about here on the show. And, uh, you know, we have a Patreon, too, the Produced by David Rosen Patreon. Check that out if you really want to. But uh, I'm just happy you're all listening, and I'm happy crazy movies like this are getting made so we can talk about them. So let's get to the conversation about Malignant. All right, so Josh Stifter is with us again, this time to talk about a crazy freaking movie called Malignant. And uh, Josh, how's it going, man? It's going well. I, I'm I'm gonna put this on front front street. I uh I really loved this movie. So I love it I, too. there's gonna be a lot of I know the last episode we did, it was a lot of love. And I, yes. I think that's that's sort of my MO is yeah. and maybe and maybe that's why you picked me to be on this. You saw my love on Twitter and we're just like, I need someone to talk about how much they love a movie for a minute. I, I absolutely because yeah, when when I watched this movie and we're certainly not alone, although this is a very, very love it or hate it movie. There are a lot of people who are just not connecting with what it's trying to do at all. Um and, and we'll get into that along the way and everything. Uh but yeah, I I'm with you though. I, I love this movie. I haven't been able to stop thinking about just how much fun it is and just how yeah. ridiculous it all is. But uh, wait, we'll get into all of that. Uh, I want to ask you, though, are you a uh, big James Wan fan? Were you looking forward to this before it came out? 
you know what? I mean, I I love early James Wan stuff, but I'm not I'm not really a blockbuster guy. And sure. James Wan has worked his way into this like really big blockbuster movie guy. He he does mm-hmm. huge films that are um they're amazing and fun, but they just kind of wash over you. You watch them and then they kind of go away. So yeah. like I, I but I was a fan of like what was his Dead Silence? Was that the name of the movie? The, I, yeah, with, with the the dummy or whatever. The, yeah, the ventriloquist dummy movie. I mm-hmm. thought that that was really good. Now I can't tell you a whole lot about the movie. It's been ten years since I saw it. Right. But I remember watching it and being like, "Oh, this is like fun horror. Like this guy makes fun horror." And so seeing him return to that, I I will be one hundred percent honest. I was not excited. I had no interest in this movie. Yeah. And no idea what it, I just figured it was going to be a saw type movie. Or exactly. Whatever. And then I started watching it and like. The movie opens, and I, I was instantly pulled in. Now, I will say I was instantly pulled in because the opening credits, like the, the title sequences, are like in VHS, and then mm-hmm. it cuts to like a 4-3 shot of someone talking to the camera. That's how my movie Greywood's plot starts. Like, it's exactly <laughs> the same with like the 4-3. Mine is, mine is uh, Super 8 footage, but I have like multiple moments in the movie where it cuts to 4-3 like in the camera and stuff like that. I was like... Oh, this guy's doing a big budget version of what I always dreamt of doing. Great minds, right? <laughs> and, and, and it's funny because Daniel was like, you know, most people get angry or jealous when they see something like that. Like someone doing what they did. I'm the exact opposite. I saw it and I'm like, oh, I'm in. I want to see how he does it. I want to see what he does with money. Sure. If like what I could potentially do someday. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I, I, but I wasn't like, I wasn't sitting there waiting for this movie to come out at all. Yeah, and I'm the same way too because, like, I, I'm I'm one of these Aquaman defenders. I I love that movie because of how ridiculous it is. But yeah. as far as his horror output, like, you know, The Conjuring, I would probably say is the best of like this kind of current modern horror moment we're in. But I just don't really like these kinds of horror movies that have come yeah. out the last decade or so. And I, I see them all, and they're fine, but they all are just kind of the same thing over and over again. And I expected this to be more of that. And and I think some people want what they expect. Like they, they expect it and they want those boxes to get checked and then they're happy. But um when when something just throws you for a loop like this did, I mean that's what it, you know excites people like you and me. So I mean uh yeah th- this kind of blew me away. But we'll get into lots more about the movie along the way. Let's start getting into some puzzle pieces. What do you have for your first one? Um I'm I'm just gonna I'm I'm gonna jump right into it and say I was like thoroughly shocked how Nightmare on Elm Street this movie goes. It, sure. It, people are talking about, you know, the Italian horror of it all and all of that, and it definitely has that, but what mm-hmm. I, I, I did not expect the end of the movie to be a straight-up throwback to fun 80s horror. Like, the yeah. end of the movie is when, when uh, Gabriel starts talking and you hear him, like, communicating in this Freddy Krueger-type way, I... I I'm I'm sold. I'm yeah. 100 like I want one of the only gripes I hear like for people who like the movie the one gripe is that they want more. Like it takes too long to get to the punchline of it. Mm. And to me I I get that. Like I I I I don't need it. I didn't want more. It was perfectly 80s per- felt just on point. However, what they're really saying is they want more Gabriel. Like you, you want sure. more Freddy Krueger in every, any Freddy Krueger movie. Like anytime yeah. Freddy Krueger isn't on screen, you're going, "Why isn't Freddy Krueger on screen?" That's yeah. what this is, and and like I think that's such a brilliant move to not tell us that that's what it is to sell it as this 
very artistic Italian horror. These shots, the, that over-the-top shot where it's going through oh, a whole house. So cool, yeah. Gorgeous. Like, that's such a throwback to a move that they would have done, you know, 30 years ago. And they just don't do that kind of thing anymore. So yeah. you're watching it going like, oh, this is, this is like highbrow or like well-crafted old-school horror. And then when it becomes like, oh, no, this is fun horror. This is, yeah. we're going to have a blast. Like, oh, that last 20 minutes is just the most fun. There's a moment when Gabriel calls the girl a bitch, mm. and I'm just like, that is so Freddy. Like, like, so Freddy. And I mean, of course, you know, spoiler alerts around, like everybody has watched the movie before they listen to this conversation, but Gabriel is a, a tumor slash, uh, you know, twin that was cut off of the woman. And, and like, the fact that that is talking like a a person, like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like it's an asshole. So, uh, like yeah, an asshole. Like a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> It's so I was, silly and, I, and it's great. So silly and fun. And like, that's what I, I did. You just don't see that that often anymore. Everyone takes movies so seriously. Daniel and yeah. I were talking about this concept where most movies, when, you know, someone's husband is, or fiance or whatever, is murdered in their house and they have their head smashed against a wall. Uh, the movie will pontificate about what happens next. How does sure. she get home? What do the cops say? All of this shit. This movie's just like, now, she's home. Yeah. Let's yeah. just keep going. That <laughs> is such an 80s move. That's so 80s, absolutely. Uh, well, I'll go on to my first piece. And, um, you know, when we first discussed uh, doing this episode, we were talking a little bit about how this movie is something that that never happens where someone makes it big and says they're going to go back to doing the thing that they're known for, but they never quite seem it to do it. It never happens. It never happens. One example I thought of that it did happen is Sam Raimi going back to Drag Me to Hell after yeah. doing the gigantic Spider-Man movies. And he, he made all this money for the studios with the Spider-Man franchise and then actually did return to just a splatterfest, fun, ridiculous just campy horror movie, and that that's what James Wan has done here. And I would also say there's a lot of Sam Raimi in general in this. I mean, you could definitely say th this fits in with, like, the Evil Dead, especially Evil Dead 2 uh, style of, of kind of comedic horror where it's just very over-the-top and just gleeful in its gore and all that stuff. Uh, so there's a lot of Sam Raimi in here as well, but definitely Drag Me to Hell is my main piece here. Yeah, man, I didn't even think about that. We were Daniel and I were talking yesterday about Daniel, but he's my producer. And friend, mm -hmm. we were talking about um, that that this never happens. You hear filmmakers; every young filmmaker is like, "I can't wait to make my big budget movie, yet, but I'm gonna always stay in my roots and come back to it." Yeah, and no, no one does. The the only thing we could come up with last night was I was like, you know what, Spielberg. Spielberg is the mm. one guy who will make like a War of the Worlds and then goes like, but his his isn't fun. His like go to whatever he wants is like bridge of spies like right, right, yeah. spielberg is the guy who's like you know what no i'll make the fun movie i'll do the, the interesting thing but then i'm gonna go make my historical piece like yeah that's my his idea of fun i think <laughs> and uh but drag me to hell is a perfect pull and also the marketing was similar where i remember going into drag me to hell we all were expecting it was at the era of the pg-13 female-led horror you know the yeah. ring all of these pg-13 horror movies were coming out and so everyone went to drag me to hell going like, okay, we're just in for another PG-13, you know, gal fights evil. That's yeah. okay, let's do this thing. And then you start watching it, you're like, 
she's being gummed by an old lady and you're like oh no this is sam raimi oh i forgot i'm seeing a sam raimi movie and it that totally is what this is it's that go back to their roots and this movie was like not marketed the trailer said nothing Mm -mm. and that last half hour is it's a shock to everyone who watches it you can't even explain it like you yeah you you either love it or you hate it like you said but it's interesting because it is such a love letter for horror fans the same way uh drag me to hell was such a love letter to comedy horror fans sure like me sitting in the theater just being like oh my god this movie shouldn't be made like i don't know how he did this the same <laughs> yeah, thing especially was, by a big studio like in this case warner brothers and I, I i forget who put out drag me to hell but um yeah for for like a larger studio to put out a movie like this is just uh it's crazy Oh, that's uh, James Wan earned it. Like, this is a movie that is purely earned. Years of making big budget movies, meeting people, learning how to do it properly, learning the way this works. And then he had to have gone in and went, like, Yeah, I'll do Aquaman too, but I have this idea about a conjoined twin. It's like that Simpsons episode, sort of, which I guess leads me to my next puzzle piece. (laughs) Nice nice transition there. Yeah, that that (laughs) Simpsons episode. I think it's the uh, Treehouse of Horror 8. I, I think I could be wrong. I think you're right. Yeah. Or seven? Is it seven? Seven or eight? I don't know. Because I think it's season eight and they didn't do one the first season. But I think it's, I think it's uh, Trios of Horror 7. And uh, Bart has the conjoined twin that gets cut off and he, <laughs> they think that there's this evil, what is his name? Oh, I can't even remember. Hugo. Hugo, the evil yes, twin. Yes, Hugo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bart has, there's Hugo, the evil twin, and then the, like, punchline at the end is, oh, wait, Bart was the evil twin, and Hugo lives with the family while Bart eats fish heads in the attic. This, to me, was, like, the whole, what Juan did really well is he sets the movie up, like, minute one, you're like, okay, it's conjoined twins. Like, I just, you just see, you see what's happening, you're like, she's somehow connected, it's, the movie's called Malignant, it's a tumor, like, it is... Something was growing on her, whether it's a demon, whether it's whatever, you know this. Then you watch the movie and you're like, wait, is it an imaginary friend? Like, where are we going? And then he, like, validates all of us comfortably going like, it was a tumor. This is amazing. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, you know, I just love uh, that somehow uh, the Mitchells versus the Machines and Malignant, you managed to bring the Simpsons. In of course, it. man. The Simpsons yeah. is, I mean, they've. The, the, the South Park said it best that the Simpsons did it. Everyone yeah. is just basing their ideas off of the Simpsons. Simpsons was the creative genius of an era where people were trying to figure out, like, how do I be creative? And yeah. now we're, we're all, we all kind of, like, take little pieces from those insanely genius minds. And whether we intend to or not, I mean, the Simpsons did it. They just have done everything. And Always. we're all kind of stealing little things from them here and there. Always, always. Well, I want to real quick before I go on to my next piece, um, I want to go back to something you were just saying there, uh, because like the the whole idea of like figuring it out and, and, you know, figuring out that, oh, you know, what is what is happening here? I think part of what what makes this movie so I, I think difficult maybe is that and, and tell me if you if you agree with me here, but I don't think it's about anything like no. <laughs> you know, and Daniel and, and, and I, were I think that's about this too. The movie it's refreshing, is plotless. Yeah, like, I don't know. I can't tell you any character except Gabriel. I don't know anyone else's name. I have no interest in ever seeing any of the characters again. <laughs> yeah. All I want is Gabriel. Like yeah. that's a smart for... Nightmare on Elm Street. The only character I can like really call out from a series of ten movies is Johnny Depp, who is yeah. like 
barely in that movie. Like mm -hmm. it, that's that is eighty 80s, 80s horror. You didn't have to care about the characters. You didn't have to really concern yourself with where the plot was going. I like it's so fascinating to me. Like everyone I talk to says the same thing, where they're like, "I was so confused. I thought the mom and the daughter were the same person for like <laughs> a handful of minutes." And like because you don't care. You you see the mom in the in the uh, whatever it is the city under the city and mm. i instantly was like wait is that that's not the daughter is is that who is this who are we right. looking at now and <laughs> like who is this person now yeah and yeah. The, and then the movie validates that telling you who that person was but you also you never really care and that's mm. that is refreshing i like it is. i like a movie where i don't really have to care about anything or anyone i just enjoy the journey yeah and and i think i think it's funny that the the movie does and I think this speaks to James Wan as a director, but it does play with the idea that nowadays we're looking for meaning and all that stuff in these movies. Like, like maybe we don't want it necessarily, but we know it's going to be there. So we're looking for all the clues and all that, trying to figure the movie out as it goes. But then he just spins you around 180 and like, nope, it ain't here. You're not going to find it. And it, he, he does this really smart thing where he like hides these little hints of potential story where you're like, mm -hmm. is, is it exactly. a demon? Like, I, I have no idea. I, I don't know what Gabriel is or why Gabriel He makes is, no sense. Care. Why does he speak through electricity? That... <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, and like, we, we were concocting, everyone who had seen the movie was sitting at this party we were having yesterday, and we were all concocting our own ideas as to what Gabriel could be. Like, mm -hmm. in my head, you know, uh, it was like a ro uh, like a Rosemary's Baby. Like mom, you know, got banged by the devil, and mm -hmm. one one baby was fine, and the other baby was Satan, and they were conjoined monsters. But yeah, th th you're never told anything. Like there's no story to who no. Gabriel is or why Gabriel is, and I don't care. I don't want to yeah. know. Like I I want a sequel, but I don't want a sequel that tells me anything. I just want a sequel that's that like last half hour of the movie, like for an hour <laughs> yeah and then we just start cheering so yeah. <laughs> well I'll, I'll go to my next piece then and uh that's gonna be venom uh the the superhero uh movie uh you know of course a a, a deep voiced evil parasite being attached yeah. to the hero and you know she has to basically learn how to live with and control that in order to uh you know get her whole situation back together in any way, shape or form. And it's a, it's a kind of a similar journey to, uh, to, to what, um, the Venom character, well, I guess the Tom Hardy character, what's his name? Uh, I, I don't remember, but you know, he has to learn to live with Venom I basically. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, totally. That like, <laughs> I think this movie did it well where because we weren't told early on that they were together, mm -hmm. we, we don't have those moments of like, there, there aren't really those big moments of cheesy, like, conversation between the two of them, which I, mm -hmm. sometimes is awesome, you know, or like the uh, the Lord of the Rings, like um, Gollum, whatever. Like, yeah, Gollum, talk, Smeagol. Yeah, Smeagol, talking to himself and, you know, yeah. cutting back and forth. We don't have those moments, but we still have this, like, connection between the two that we're sort of like, that's sort of where the mystery lies. Like, how yeah. are these two connected? And you're trying to figure it out. Um yeah, and then when you finally get the reveal, you're just like, oh, yeah, this is, we were in her, her their head the whole time. Yeah, yeah, the whole time it's just been there, which it, it's, 
it's pulled off very uh very well like for for being such a ridiculous like i was almost like brought back to uh donald kaufman's the three in in adaptation you know yeah. like how how do you film this trick photography you know <laughs> like it's like how do you how do you show this character doing this but uh and i think if the movie had taken itself seriously this would not have worked like right if if, right. if the end tried to play it off as like a horror, like a modern horror, it would have been. It would have been like the three. It would have been so yeah, ridiculous, corny, preposterous. Like, yeah, but yeah. because the movie at the end just goes like, no, we're going to have fun now, everyone. Like mm -hmm. you, if you were scared up till this point, you're not scared anymore. Now you're giggling. <laughs> Absolutely. If if you thought you were going to see a straight up horror, you are not going to be happy, and I don't mm -hmm. care. Uh, and that's what I love. Like it is. You're like you said earlier. It's a kind of movie that you either love it or you hate it. And I think, I think a lot of people will like. We're we're hearing a lot of love right now, but I yeah. think a lot of people are about to go watch it and be like, "I don't want to have fun in a horror. I want to <laughs> see. I like Hereditary. Like, I don't want this." Um, luckily, that hasn't been happening so far. So far, everyone has been like, "Oh, what a breath of fresh air." Yeah, yeah. Um, at least in the film Twitter world, but yeah, we will see True. as as it spreads out. We will see. But that's the thing; like, it is film Twitter. That's where I'm getting everything from. And film Twitter yeah. loves a good like comedy horror. But if I showed yeah. my dad, he'd be like, "This is the stupidest movie I've ever seen in my life." <laughs> <laughs> and I love that about. It. I'd be like, "Right?" Like yeah, I remember yeah, showing exactly. my dad going back to Sam Raimi. I remember showing my dad when I was like, you know, fifteen, sixteen years old, and I was just kind of getting into the horror I should have, I should have been watching because I was really watching like. I don't know, the big budget horror and stuff like that. So when I was like 15 or 16, I went back and started watching The Evil Deads and stuff like mm -hmm. that. I remember showing my dad Army of Darkness because my dad loves action movies. And I'm like, dude, w let's watch this. It's, you're going to love it. A guy's got a chainsaw hand. It's so cool. And my dad sat there just like, this is the stupidest movie I've ever seen. Like, why are you showing me this garbage? And I'm like, oh, that's right. You're like an old dad. I can, right. like, this is for me. Um, you're a normal person. You're a normal person. <laughs> you're not a lunatic. And, uh, and then like, a few weeks after I showed it to my dad, my uncle came over to my, like it was Christmas, and my uncle came over and he's like, I was watching the Sci-Fi Channel and they had this movie on the other night. It was so stupid. This guy had a chainsaw hand. I'm like, I've got the poster on my wall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the best. The best. I, yeah, the fun of it all. Um, I'll move on to my next one, which I guess kind of, you know, it's a little bit different because I don't think that this movie is really comparable but i think that there's a lot of influence mm. uh, i'm just gonna throw out the fly because i think this movie is like really there's a lot of love letter to body horror and cronenberg in general sure. even down to like cronenberg goes for bold shots like like the look of this movie was like bar none one of the most fun movies to look at i've seen in a long time and yeah. i think that comes from the fact that it never lets you forget you're watching a movie it's a so movie, mo movie all the way. Yeah, so many movies right now, especially horror, wants you to forget. They want you to be so sucked in that you, you are forgetting like you're watching a movie. And so a lot of times you get these shots that are just like, they're, they're nice, they're maybe moving, they have some motion, but they're not like epic. Like they have no iconic element to them. This, it was like, there wasn't a shot in this movie that wasn't like, no, we're going to go for the wide 14 millimeter crazy low angle in a little tiny room that you could never fit a camera in. Like it right. obviously was like soundstage moments. Like there's a scene in the bathroom at where uh, the dude's dead in the tub and then the cop comes in and she's seeing everything happen. And it's like, 
there's you can't fit a camera in this bathroom. Yeah, this Yet is impossible. We're seeing all four walls. So I'm sitting there going like, what is this like a tear apart room that they're filming in this insane way? And it, that's Juan using his budget just impeccably. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is... Uh, and I think that, again, speaks to why, like, you know, film Twitter type people are really connecting with this. I mean, this is, again, it's a movie movie. It's something for fans of film and for for people who are excited by by showing off, so to speak. You yeah, know? And Cronenberg did that a lot. And I, when I thought about The Fly and I thought about this, I was like, there is like a similar trajectory of the story where the fly really takes its time to get mm -hmm. to anything that is fun to look at or like crazy and you're never bored i was never bored in either movie like watching sure. either movie but it takes its time getting there and then when it gets there you're like oh wow we're we're really going crazy at the end of this movie and then the movie just ends both of them just like they yeah. get to the point where they're like no we have nothing else to say we don't need to fill you in on where their lives go after they, she shoots the fly and the fly is dead cut to credits this yeah. one did the same thing where it's like no she put him in the cell and we're done yep finished we did what we came to do um i i need to watch the fly again it's been so long i, I actually need to just have like a cronenberg little mini marathon so many awesome movies he is he is and i think it's just i i, I say the fly because it's body horror and there was like there's a similar practicalness to the effect you know at times and trying to go big with it but i mean this is just general cronenberg i thought yeah. i thought the whole movie had like an element of you know down to the nonsense of taking this woman's statue and making it his weapon like that's yeah. a total cronenberg move cronenberg sure. would do stuff like that that's awesome well uh, i'll go to my next piece here uh i am going to go with the recent the Invisible Man remake from Lee Whannell, who, of course, has the connection to uh, James Wan with the Saw movies. But, yeah. um, you know, I, I specifically wanted to bring it up, though, because within the confines of what is, you know, essentially a horror movie, focusing on just crazy over-the-top action moments. Because that is one thing that really stuck out about The Invisible Man to me was that... Uh, whenever things like got action packed, it would just, they'd be employing all these different kinds of camera tricks and yeah. just everything to just make it exciting and kinetic and all that. And James Wan, you know, certainly has his action background with like F7 and, and stuff like that. And so, he, you know, he knows doing action and of course Aquaman, uh, but uh, he brings that here and it ends up not just being like horror thrills, but like straight up big budget action movie uh thrills at the same time and so uh just that kind of mix of of styles there between action and horror i think brings the invisible man here yeah i could totally see that and i think that's one thing that you know with going back to how this movie sort of throwback to the 80s and to, to horror movies from a bygone era it is bold with his action like the action mm -hmm. in this movie is so fun to look at down a cop chases a monster uh, through the city and into the, you know, city below the city. And this is a, that's a moment that you would see in a, in a fast movie or in a Aquaman movie and never feels like big budget action, even though it definitely is like those set pieces are not something, you know, I could afford to put sure. in a movie, but yeah. they are, but they're always, they always feel like weirdly comfortable like in their budget you never are watching going like whoa this is huge budget and then when it does blow up and the action starts you've been so prepped for it to happen and it's so over the top in that last like 30 minutes 
that like the prison scene like oh god it's yeah. amazing and like james wan using what he has which i guess I'll, that kind of leads me to uh the next one which is a weird sort of cop-out but i do think that aquaman is like you have to call out the fact that james wan has used his uh career to make this movie and, and sure. you see the love but without aquaman this movie doesn't happen like without right. his big budget stuff there's no way he could have made this movie i could not make this movie no one's gonna give me the budget to make this movie as a independent filmmaker this yeah. guy used his career and then came back and went like no i'm making something for my fans who started with me at the beginning we're gonna go back but i'm not gonna cop out and not use my my abilities because I right. think that's the thing that a lot of filmmakers, or like the fear that a lot of filmmakers have, is if they go back to what they did, they're no one's going. It's it's all still work for them to get movies made. So they're yeah. not going to get that budget. They're not going to be able to use their uh, creative team that they have. But uh, I don't know what Juan's meeting was with this movie. I don't know how he walked in the room and said, "No, conjoin twins. I, this is what I want to do. I need <laughs> sure. money to make this." But he got it and used his his clout and made it happen. Me and a friend were talking this morning, actually, about this, and it, it's weird because, in theory, the, the, the stream, like streaming and like the Netflixes and, and stuff like that should be a breeding ground for these kinds of things to yeah. happen. And, and it just doesn't. Instead, we get like 18 new John Wicks a year, you know? It's like, why aren't interesting, unique movies happening with the budgets that these companies are throwing around? And the thing is, is they really, uh, I think what's happening a lot is this comfort zone. No one wants to make a movie that is going to polarize audiences. They want to make a movie, like I was talking about Quiet Place 2 with Daniel last night. I watched it on the plane and I was like, it's fine. Like, I <laughs> can't say it was bad. I can't really say it was great. It was just kind of a movie that existed. Right. And I watched it and I had fun watching it, but I will never... I won't pontificate about A Quiet Place 2. It just happened. And yeah. that's the kind of movie we're seeing a lot of right now. The movie that everyone just goes like, okay, that was two hours that I I enjoyed. Like, that yeah. was fine. This is like, no, you're either going to love this or you're going to hate this. And that's what I want to see more in this streaming era. And you'd think it would. You'd think these studios would be like, no, let's take a risk. Let's get people talking. But instead, they don't. They They're like, no, let's put out another like random bird box movie that's just mm -hmm. it just exists in time and we all watch it and move on and uh i like this sort of movie that uh, and i hope to see more of this i hope that this is a game changer that's what i post on twitter like i think this is a game changing moment and we're because we're all talking about it and the studio is going to go or the studios are going to go well let's it worked with Juan. let's take another risk let's do yeah. another crazy movie I would hope so. I, I guess we will see what happens. Uh, I'll go to my next piece. And, you know, we, we've already talked about this, you know, movie probably not meaning anything. Uh, I'm going to go the exact opposite with a movie that means maybe too much, but I think does share a little bit of uh, connectivity here. And that's Jordan Peele's Us. Yeah. Uh, a, a movie where there's a lot of social commentary around the idea of this underground dwelling alternative versions of all of us that are tethered to us somehow through, you know, some kind of movie magic. And, uh, you know, here in this movie, we of course have Gabriel being tethered to, uh, you know, our main character, Madison here. And, um, 
everything they do is connected in some way or another, even though one is like the dark version of the other. And so I think that there's a lot of connection there. And that, of course, is an idea that's, you know, tied back to a lot of classic horror as well. But, um, you know, recently that that is like, you know, such a big movie. And I think in in the public consciousness, I think uh, everything Jordan Peele does is just such a big deal lately. I'm sure it rubbed off. Yeah, I think that I think that's interesting because they are like very similar and polar opposite at the same time. They, right. The vibe yeah. of both of them is like it couldn't be diff- more different. Us yeah. is constantly being like, this is smart. And it 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 is, but it's also like not that's not every movie has to be us. Like not every movie has right. to be that smart and that big. And like every moment of us is sort of like inexplicable but always explaining itself whereas mm-hmm. this movie it's all inexplicable and doesn't care that it's inexplicable. Exactly. It just like thrives in it and goes like no we're not going to explain this and honestly it's the one thing that i did not like about us was that it did try to explain things at the end it felt almost like totally a cop-out in the or, or like a like an add-on like they tagged it into the movie later where they did test screenings at the test screens people were like but why why are mm-hmm. they t- tethered? Why are they dancing? Why is this happening? And so they have that like exposition drop moment with the totally. split diopter. And I, I was like, if you cut that scene and you don't explain any of it, the movie works better for me because then I'm I'm not thinking about it. I'm just going like, yeah, it's a metaphor. Like I, I, I'm just enjoying the metaphor of it all. This movie, it's this movie's not a metaphor. This movie, like, I, can you can you imagine that scene in Malignant, like them even attempting to to drop no, all I, that? I I don't ever want. I don't like. <laughs> I don't want the sequel where they like are trying to explain where he came from and why it exists. I just want them to be like, like, no, let this is what it is. We, we're just having fun with monsters. That's yeah. It's funny how we are, like, we're in this era of film where everything everyone wants an explanation to everything and it's probably because of you know the internet we can go and look up on google what things are real and what things aren't and ending explained those videos (laughs) yeah exactly that everyone wants to the answer but movies don't need to answer everything like they can just be a blast and this is the proof of it but I, i think the big thing is like while it's a while it's stupid like we're we're making it sound like the movie's really dumb and it is (laughs) It takes itself very seriously still. Like it, it never, it never like sells itself short on going big. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it's it 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 goes all in on the idea of let's just have some fun with this, and it it just goes as full throttle as it possibly can. But uh, was that your last piece? No, I got one more. Um, okay, so I'm gonna go with Baba's Demons. Okay, um, I don't know what year it came out. I think like. 80s i mean obviously this movie is a throwback to 80s maybe that was 70s late 70s i don't know but uh it when i saw demons i just saw it like maybe five years ago or something like that and that sort of like italian horror is is evident everyone's talking about the fact that this has like a lot of italian horror to it but yeah demons like i remember getting fangoria magazine as a kid like old like they were you know five, ten years old at that point, and there was this ad for demons that had a guy, like, in a theater just, like, dead, hanging over the over the seats. And yeah. that, like, instantly was fun. Like, and I, and so I saw the, I, and I never watched the movie. And then years later, I went back, and I'm like, you know what? I want to watch that movie that the ad was so cool in the magazines I had as a kid. And I watched it, and it was. It's just, like, 
stupid, fun Italian horror. And this movie does that so well. It so calls back that idea that you could just do whatever. If you take yourself seriously in the style, you can get away with like murder story-wise. You can do whatever you want. And there was that scene that just felt so like nonsensically throwback when uh, the mom breaks free and starts stepping through the attic and then just falls through the ceiling. And everyone's yeah. just sitting there like, what the fuck? Like, Amazing. what just happened? And that, to me, that's like something you would have seen in a movie 20 years ago. No one's going to do that now. No one's going to make the movie where someone just falls through the ceiling yeah. and everyone is just sitting there staring. And then it cuts to that, like, where is my mind? Like, <laughs> so brilliant. Just so big all the time. So big. Yeah, yeah. The score, by the way, fantastic score. Joseph Bashira, who does all of James Wan's movies, I'm pretty sure. But uh, yeah, great score. And and then incorporating that Where's Where's My Mind cover is so, just such a choice, you know? <laughs> it, it was all choice. Like, I, yeah. I think that's one of the things is a lot of movies, especially horror we watch, doesn't feel like a choice. It feels like a very, very, like, um, like it was crafted in a way that wasn't just like, no, let's do this. Like it, mm -hmm. this movie felt almost like, obviously it's super well crafted, but it felt like the writing was, no, let's just do this. Like, yeah. I, I want to have someone fall through the ceiling. Like I want to yeah. shoot this. And um, to, to like moments where, so at, by the time we get to the end of the movie, and I think this is where the demons sort of comes in too, because demons has a lot of camp, a lot of, you know, totally. cheesy effects and stuff like that. And as like, as well as evil dead and Sam Raimi stuff. But we get to the end, and there are moments that are gorgeous at the end of the movie, like seeing the practical monster or whatever. But then, like, the girl, the main girl who is part of him, like, at moments, it literally just looks like a plastic or a rubber mask on it the did. back of it. It looks so cheesy. And so you're like, well, that's a choice. Like, they could have put in some digital effect. They could have got an amazing-looking effect. And they're like, no, let's just throw the mask. Like, let's just make a, ma a mold of her face, make a mask make it look kind of like her and throw it on the back and just have it hang in there. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. It's, 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 again, it's movie movies. It's, it's a movie that knows that you're going to get excited about the fact that this is a movie and you could see some of the seams sometimes and that's okay. Uh, yeah, it totally yeah. lets you see the seams and it like, it does this really nice thing where it, it lets it's 3d show, but then or like a CGI show it's 3d effects. But mm -hmm. then at other times it's like, so seamlessly like it mixes it so well that you're like wait is that cg is is that real like what what am i looking and your brain just eventually shuts off and just like sure. goes with it um a lot of movies and it, and it happens with wan movies now where a lot of the effects you look at and you're like well that one was cgi that one was practical that one was cgi this mm. one i just at a certain point i just didn't care i was just like i don't care what i'm seeing i just want to see it all like go for it absolutely well, I, you know, for my last piece, you know, speaking about all that style and everything and the movie making and choices, uh, you know, he, James Wan actually did mention, you know, some of his influences were Bava, you know, Cronenberg, uh, which we brought up earlier. So I'll bring up Argento, the third one that he mentioned, uh, Suspiria. It was going to be my piece here. Um, but, you know, just those like heavily saturated colors. A lot of this movie is just so stylized, even down to the, uh, the poster that, uh, they've been marketing this movie with. We've talked about how the marketing yeah. isn't exactly marketing what the movie is, but maybe that poster was a better tell than the trailer itself um, because of 
just how stylized it all is. And and then the movie itself ends up really being that. And so, yeah, I mean, this movie is just filled with choices artistically and stylistically within the confines of just a big, silly movie. Yeah, that poster is awesome. I mean, it is obviously Argento throwback. Like, it just has yeah. that look and really doesn't make sense. Like, the uh -huh. poster has very little to do with the movie. Like, that, sure. that scene isn't like, there's no, like, knife in the eye scene but that's the mm. kind of thing like suspiria would do and also like totally doesn't tell what the movie is but is just a gorgeous poster to look at it just works it's just exactly nice. yeah totally well uh yeah i'm gonna go ahead and read down the finished puzzle and we'll get into some closing thoughts here on malignant uh but we talked about nightmare on elm street drag me to hell the simpsons treehouse of horrors episode uh venom the Fly, The Invisible Man, Aquaman, Us, Demons, and Suspiria. Uh, you know, lots of style throughout a lot of this stuff, seriously. Like, I think that's, like, the number one thing. But that and just fun over-the-topness, because that's what this movie is. Totally. And I, and I, like, applaud Juan for just going for it and not having any qualms with, like, having that fun. I'm, it's, it's super inspiring to me because it is the kind of movie that i dream of making so when i yeah. watch something like this and see that it works it's it validates this concept of like oh man I, maybe someday i can make something that big um and validates the idea that like there's going to be an audience for the weird stuff i want to do like the weird things that i need to get out of my head which i think is something that you know a lot of these movies aren't the, the like horror that's happening right now isn't like creative stuff that people want to get out of their head. It's social commentaries. It's um, very like deep. Like I mean, you watch some of it, and you're just like this. I I want to talk about it. Or I want to think about it. Or uh, I I loved the lighthouse. I thought the lighthouse was a brilliant horror. But that movie makes my brain go crazy. Like I watch right. it, and I'm just like I can't stop thinking about what this means or what it's saying. Totally. I don't, I. I seeing a movie that I don't care what it means. I'm not, I'm still thinking about it days later after I've seen it, but for like opposite reasons, just yeah. like, I, I'm, I don't wake up going like, oh man, you know what? That speaks to me. I wake up just with a smile on my face going, God, yeah. I'm so glad I saw that. I had fun. That's all it was. And yeah, that, that is, that is something that we are missing lately. And I'm so glad that uh, James Wan delivered it. And, and it makes sense for James Wan to be, I mean, he he has made some uh, really fun over the top stuff in the past. So I mean, I, I think giving him the opportunity to go into horror again, but do it exactly what he wants, I think it makes sense that it would turn out like this. So yeah, I, I'm just so glad that this movie uh, w was so much fun, and uh, this has been just such a love fest. This episode, but, I know uh, it, it, that's <laughs> me, man. I, it's so funny. I'm so terrible at uh, critiquing things. Mm -hmm. I am not that person who can like sit and if i don't like something i just don't want to talk about it or i don't sure. really think about it ever again it's much harder when things are not that good <laughs> i i'm i'm not uh i also don't if something's not good and i don't like it i don't get angry i don't feel like mm -hmm. i wasted time i think a lot of people have this thing where they're like well that's two hours i won't get back i will right. i've never said that once in my life like i don't care if i wasted two hours i it's better than the worst two hours watching a movie uh, is still more enjoyable for me than almost anything else in life. Totally I can agree. sit through the worst movie and I'm just like, worst case scenario, I walk out and I go like, well, uh, that's I learned what I don't want to do in a movie. Like, mm -hmm. I don't want to make that. Um, yeah. 
or I might I, have a or, new puzzle piece to bring up if I uh, watch a bad movie. So yeah, yeah. and oh, I, <laughs> yeah, and I watch a I'll see a bad movie and I'm like, no, you know what? I I want to do this. I want to do this better. I mean, that's what both like both of the movies I've made, whether they're good or bad, I have, cannot say. But I both of those movies came from movies that I saw and and went. I want to do my take on this concept because yeah. I think I have something else to say that didn't work in the, this didn't work for me. Um, so like, yeah, the worst movie I watch, I'm just like, Oh no, I want to, I want to go, I want to go make my version of that. That's awesome. That, that, that's why it's fun having a filmmaker on the show sometimes. Cause uh, yeah, that, that point of view is really uh, a cool way of looking at things. Um, but yeah, I, I think that uh, wraps it up for malignant. Is there another movie you watched recently you'd like to recommend to our listeners? Oh, I was at Fright Fest and went in, in the UK. Uh, Greywood's Plot, my second movie, got into Fright Fest. So I went there and I was nice. watching movies like crazy. And uh, there were a few that I really loved, but I saw, I don't know if I could say that uh, I, I recommend this movie, but there's a uh, Nicolas Cage movie called Prisoners of Ghostland. So, oh, I can't no, wait to watch that. Whatever, it's something <laughs> like that. And it is the most bonkers movie I've seen in a while. Now, I went in, I, I saw his last movie pig and mm -hmm. it was just a beautiful movie about criticism and passion and like i was expecting it to be john wick and john wick it was not i, I thought sure. it was nicholas cage trying to save his pig and he was going to kill a bunch of people to get a pig that's not what the movie is at all no, and i all. was shocked how like smart and gorgeous and just like how that again a movie that made me think like i walked out of it just going like holy shit i gotta reassess my life yeah. Um, but Prisoners was just like the opposite. It was like what I thought Pig was going to be. I mm -hmm. I thought Prisoners was going to be the opposite. I'm like, this is going to be like a sort of dramatic movie, which it is, but it never takes itself serious. And Bill Mosley's in there just like chewing the scenery. Oh, it's yeah. so good. Just a movie where wait. actors get to go crazy and have fun. So I, I don't, I wouldn't say it's like a flawless movie. It's not amazing, but it is an enjoyable movie time if you're just in the mood for some like weird nick cage <laughs> can't wait i am very much looking forward to it uh awesome uh josh why don't you tell people where they can find you and your work yeah so um you can find a lot of my stuff i mean i'm on, on twitter at josh stifter i'm on instagram at flush studios uh, facebook i do all the social medias um joshstifter.com you can find like sort of what i'm working on or like what i'm doing um but uh, yeah, follow me on the social medias and I will be posting uh, my movie, The Good Exorcist, the first movie I made for $7,000 with Robert Rodriguez's Rebel Without a Crew, um, is coming out through Troma in the next, you know, coming months. I'm not exactly nice. sure when, but we're going to have a Blu-ray release, so pick that up when it drops. Um, and then Greywood's Plot, my second movie, will be coming out later this year, hopefully. Uh, and uh, Rebel Without a Crew is officially available again no one could find it it was impossible to find but it's out on roku now so you can watch it for free um on, on roku awesome great yeah, i'm looking forward to uh, checking that out so uh awesome man well i'm so glad i was able to get you back on the show and uh maybe we'll, we'll do it again sometime we have to yeah it's always a good time Welcome to the podcast that wouldn't die. I'm your host, Kevin. With me, as always, is Aaron. What up, what up? Well, each week, we'll explore the classics of the horror and sci-fi genre with a little comedic twist. We will ask those important questions like, why don't they get out of the haunted house the first time they see the ghost or the demon? 
Why do people feel like, hey, there's been a spooky disappearance, but I'm going to investigate myself, even though I have no investigative background? Or, why didn't I realize I was dead the whole time? These important questions and many others we will get to the bottom of. So check us out each week at the podcast that wouldn't die. Be there or be square. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation about Malignant. Like we said, this is a, a real love-it-or-hate-it kind of movie, but I, uh, I, I'm i just glad movies like this can get made every once in a while because, you know, we see so many movies that are so similar, like week after week, things that we've seen before, things that, you know, we celebrate those influences from movie to movie on this show, but there there is a point where we're seeing the same thing over and over again, and to see something so weird and different and unique, especially from a major filmmaker like James Wan, is very exciting, and who knows, we'll see how this movie does in the coming weeks, but I, I hope uh, maybe it leads to some more interesting, weird stuff from major filmmakers. Maybe it opens the Pandora's box a little bit. But uh, yeah, that does it for this episode. I want to remind you all, as always, to make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together on your podcast app of choice. We are, of course, on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Pocket Casts, all the major podcast apps. You can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser or Good Pods or wherever you can leave a nice little review of the show. I love hearing feedback from people. We've had some really nice reviews lately. A lot of great five-star reviews, and I I really love those ones especially. Uh, You can uh, also follow us on social media. On Twitter is where I'm most active. That's at PiecingPod. But I've also been doing the Instagram thing, at PiecingPod. And uh, our Facebook group is Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces. And we continue the conversation about all the movies we talk about here on the show over there. And the great little community of uh, movie fans. We also have a Patreon, the Produced by David Rosen Patreon, where we post bonus content and advanced episodes from Piecing It Together, uh, also bonus content from Awesome Movie Year, and uh, stuff from my music career. And speaking of my music career, uh, next week I'm going to start posting some previews of a, a project that's coming out in October. It's The Dissection Table, a new album that I'm putting out. It is a soundtrack of a film that never came out. And I'll talk about that in some upcoming like blog posts and things. Maybe I'll even do like a special episode around it. Uh, but it's this horror film that I scored years ago. And it just it never came out. But maybe it will one of these days. But the soundtrack is coming out October 15th. Pre-sale will start October 1st. And uh, I'm going to have a bunch of bonus... like cut tracks from from the album that'll be on the patreon exclusively and a lot of fun stuff so definitely check out the patreon for that check out my website by davidrosen.com for more about the album and i'm gonna play a track from that album right now uh yeah i did this film the dissection table and malignant were both pretty much cut from the same cloth of just crazy over-the-top horror and so i think this would be a good fit here so this is a track called burning from the dissection table the album will be out in time for halloween it's coming out october 15th it'll make great background music for halloween parties (laughs) so i hope you enjoy this track burning and we'll be back with more piecing it together next week
an All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.